continuing our message series called Out of Context. Uh, Dalton is speaking tonight. Yeah. Hey, so will y'all get loud for Dalton? Get loud for Dalton. How's it going tonight, midweek? <laughs> so this is not related to my message at all. But if you like dogs, raise your hand. Oh, dang. Do we have any cat lovers in the room? Dang. Okay. Dang. So, I've got a little story I want to start us off with today. Now, there's a married couple, guys. There was a ma- they've been married 20 years, and they, they lived in Minnesota, okay? And their, their anniversary was coming up, and they decided, hey, we want to do something... We, we want to remember when we got married, so we're going to go back to the hotel that we had our honeymoon at. And they decided, hey, we're going to fly down at the hotel and hang out in the hotel. But un- unfortunately, the schedules didn't really line up. So the husband had to fly down a day earlier than the wife. The wife was still going to stay in Minnesota, but because of business, the husband had to fly down. So the husband gets down to, he gets down to Florida, he checks into the hotel, he opens the door, walks into the room, and he sees a computer. And he decides, hey, I want to I email my wife. Uh, she's coming down here tomorrow. I want to let her know how things are. And so he sends the email, but he misses a period. He misses a period. And halfway across the country, we're in California now. California, this, this widow, she's recently widowed. Her husband died about two days ago. And she opens her email. She screams, and she passes out on the floor. And... Her, her son comes running into the room, and she, her son's like, what, what's happening? And he looks at her computer, and he reads a message. And the message says, to my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Look forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S., it's freaking hot down here. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, when we hear the story, we're able to laugh at the story. We're able, to, we're able to make fun of the story because we understand the context of the story. We know, hey, he missed a period, and therefore the entire story makes total sense to us, and it just turns out to be funny. So context is super important. And that being said, that relates into the last two weeks of what we've been learning about context in relation with the Bible. Nathan used a really good example of context when he was talking about his water. He said, hey, if I asked you whether this was half full or half empty, you'd be able to tell me. You could give your own answer. But if I asked you, hey, is this water bottle enough? You would say, what's it enough for? Is it enough to cross the desert? No, it's definitely not. But is it enough to quench my thirst after beating Nathan five times in a row in pickleball? Yes, yes it is. So context is key when we're trying to understand something. So now we're going to bring it in relation to the Bible. One thing that I want you all to take away, a big point, if you have have a pen in your notebook, I want you to write it down. The Bible was written for us, not to us. And Nathan did a great job explaining this when he talked about Jeremiah 29.11 two weeks ago. And if you guys were here, Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Now, does anyone remember who that was written to? You can shout it out if you remember. If not, that's fine. It was, yep, Israel. It was written to Israel. So it was not written to me when I'm struggling on my test. We know that God loves us, but that specific portion of scripture was not written directly to me or to you. It was written to the nation of Israel. And another important thing that we need to realize with scripture is we can't force our own meaning into scripture. And what I mean by that is if I, if I read a verse and I'm like, I think it means that when it does not mean that, that is wrong. A good example of this was last week with Philippians 4.13. And Philippians 4.13, you've probably heard it before, but it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, and that him is talking about Christ. But that doesn't mean that I can go walk over to Lucas and bench a thousand pounds in front of him. That's not how that works. I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. What it's talking about, and Nathan said this amazingly last week, is when we can do all things through him who gives me strength, Paul, the author of that verse, is saying that we can handle all spiritual and all emotional challenges that come at us because of the strength that Christ gives us. So, we can't try and put our own meaning into a verse because we're then twisting the word of God. We're twisting what God says into something that it doesn't actually mean. So, context tells us why scripture was written. I want you guys to write that down. Context tells us why scripture was written because it gives us the background knowledge and the understanding that we can grow in and really learn what God was trying to articulate through his message. So before we get, before we get into the next verse, I want to pray and kind of open us up. So would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for we thank you so much for this amazing day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come to a building and freely speak about, about your love for us, Lord, and about your word. God, I thank you for each person in this room, and I thank you for the friends that you've given us here and just the opportunity to be able to learn more about you but also to have fun, God. And guys, if you want to hear from God tonight, he's, he's always speaking to us, but I want you guys to pray this simple prayer that we pray every time we're here at Journey. And it, it goes along the lines of, Lord, would you speak to me because I'm listening? And then if you guys would pray for someone next to you, maybe you know them, maybe they're in a neon shirt, maybe you've never met them before, but if you just pray something along the lines of, Lord, would you please speak to this person today and give them the faith and the courage to respond? We pray all these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okie dokie. Let's get into it. The verse that we're talking about today is Romans 8.28. And we're going to read it off, and we're going to give you guys, we're going to give you the verse so you understand what we're talking about here. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Hmm. Well, all things work together for good. That, like, what does good mean for us? What, what does good mean for us is the question that we're going to focus on first because good can mean a lot of different things. So what does good mean for us? Maybe for you and I, it's listening to our parents 60% of the time. Maybe it's doing good on a test, doing good in school. Once again, maybe it's me beating Nathan in pickleball again because it just happens so many times, unfortunately, for him. Maybe I get a new Lamborghini. Maybe, maybe I get rich 
Maybe I never struggle again. But we know that's not the case. Because when we look at scripture, Nathan mentioned this verse last week, but John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, Jesus himself is telling us that we are going to struggle because we follow him. So what does good mean then? What if I'm going to struggle in this world? And, and we know that not every Christian is rich. We, we know that following Christ doesn't give us all the money in the world to buy stuff. We know that's not the case. So the big question for tonight to understand what Paul is talking about is what does Paul mean when he says all things work together for good. I want you guys to write this down because we're going to cover a lot of ground here tonight. And there's going to be some words you guys probably don't know, but we're going to work through a lot because this, this one verse cannot be explained easily unless you understand a lot of different things about Scripture. And this is a good example of studying your Bible, studying what the Word of God says in order that you're able to understand what God is actually trying to tell each and every one of us. So, if you guys have a Bible with you, does anyone have a Bible with them? Hey, nice. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Romans 8, 28 through 30. We'll also have it on the screen so you guys can follow along. But, we're going to pull up Romans 8, 28 through 30, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's verse 28. Now, verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's verse 29. And then verse 30 is, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So those are some very big words. And in order for us to understand what Romans 8.28 is saying, we need to understand what the passages around that verse are saying. So, if you guys have some pen and if you have pen and paper, I want you guys to write down some words. We're going to run through them real quick. First word is conform. Conform means to be similar in form or type. So, one more time, conform means to be similar in form or in type. Now, we're going to I'm going to reread verse 29 with that definition. It says, "For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be similar in form or type to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, now we know what Paul is saying when he says conformed. So, Paul is saying that over time, those who have repented, repentance means turning from your sin and turning towards God, those who've repented from their sin and believe in Jesus Christ, they will begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. That does not mean that we will become God. I'm going to say that again. That does not mean we will become God. There is only one God, and he does not share his power. We will never become God. But once we put our faith in Christ, over time, we will begin to look more like Christ in our words and actions. What I mean by that is we will be more patient. We will be more kind. We will be more loving. We will show the attributes, uh, <laughs> attributes, the character of Christ to other people. So that's what Paul's talking about in verse 29. So the next word that we're going to discuss is justification. And this is a big word, but this is an important one. And justification means to be declared righteous. 
So I want you, I'm going to say it again, to be declared righteous. And now, I know righteous is a little confusing. We got to break these words down totally so we understand what they mean. But the definition of righteousness is, in, in godly righteousness is absolute perfection. So, godly righteousness is absolute perfection. And that is very important. And then the last word that I want us to write down is glorified. And glorified, when it's mentioned in the Bible, means that we will be made absolutely perfect. Right now, we are not perfect. We all have sinned. But those who've repented and believed in Christ, they've trusted in Christ. When, when Jesus comes back on earth and when we go to heaven, we will be given a perfect body and we will be glorified. All of our sin will disappear, and we will be glorified. So those are the words that I really wanted to, I wanted to explain because they really expand upon what Paul is talking about. So now I'm going to reread verse 30 again, and I want, there's going to be one word that really sticks out. So, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also declared righteous. Remember, declaring righteous means to be declared perfect. Those he declared perfect, he also made perfect in the last days. So there is a lot of perfect in there. But still, we can't understand what Romans 8.28 is talking about if we don't know what the good is or if we don't know what God's, God's level of perfection is. So the next big question is, what does good mean for God? And like we talked about godly righteousness, good for God is absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, God creates the entire heavens and the earth. And after he creates a certain aspect, he says it was good. When he created the water, it was good. When he created the animals, they were good. Everything was perfect when God first made it. And in fact, this is kind of a scary verse, but in Matthew 5, Jesus says that to enter heaven, we have to be perfect. We have to be perfect to enter heaven. That is kind of a problem because I am not perfect. Nathan's not perfect. No one is perfect. And yeah, exactly. No one's perfect. The Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So if no one's perfect, no one's getting to heaven. I'm going to say that again. If no one is perfect, no one is getting into heaven. But there was one man who lived a perfect life. Can you guys tell me who died on a cross? Scream it out. Jesus. Jesus is the one person who ever lived a perfect life. That means that Every single day, he did everything as God would have wanted. He never sinned against God. He never broke any of the commandments. He lived a perfect life. And Jesus was killed. We know he died on a cross, but that wasn't because of anything Jesus had done. Like I said, Jesus was perfect. That was because of the jealousy and the fear of the people who were ruling the days. Imagine, like... Think about our current president in Congress being mad at someone and afraid of them and killing them even though they did nothing wrong. That's what happened to Jesus. So, does anyone, how many days did Jesus stay dead? 
Three, exactly. Now, when Jesus, he died on a cross, he, he was dead for three days, and then he what? He was resurrected. That is not the end of the story. That is something we focus on, and it is amazing. The fact that our, our God came down to earth as a human, and he literally defeated death is miraculous. But remember, we will not go into heaven unless we are perfect. So where does this story, where, how do we get into heaven then? What, what happens? Because without Jesus, the story's over. So when Jesus died on a cross, he took on the punishment that each and every one of us deserved. What I mean by that is whenever we sin, we are breaking God's law. Imagine speeding. You are breaking the government's law. There's a punishment if you get caught speeding. You have to pay a ticket. If you kill someone, there is a punishment. You will spend time in jail. When we break God's law, we will get punished. But Jesus loved me so much. He loved you so much. He loved everyone in this world so much that the king of the universe came down from heaven, took off glory, took off honor, and died on a cross, took the punishment that we deserved. He took the punishment for our sin on the cross in order that we could be declared righteous. One of the most, one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible, and this is one of my favorite verses, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is, I'll kind of break it down because it's a little confusing, but for our sake, because Jesus loved us, he made Jesus to be sin, to take on our sin, our punishment, who knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned, but he took on our punishment so that in him, those who believe in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. When we repent and believe in Jesus and we trust in him, Jesus' perfect life becomes imputed on us. And what I mean by imputed is Jesus gives us his perfect life. That is great news because that means when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see you for your sin. He doesn't see you for your sin. He doesn't see you for your sin. He sees Jesus' perfect life. He sees Jesus' perfect life. Again, he sees the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That is how we become, that is how we are declared righteous. That is how we enter heaven. Not because of anything we have done, but all because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that is because of his love for each and every one of you. It wasn't because, hey, I did a good job. I walked my dog today. Or I, <laughs> I helped my friend out. Yeah, those are nice things. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> those are nice things. But guess what? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But Jesus came down and died because he loved each and every one of us. It was out of love. Nothing we did but out of love for us. So, I'm going to repeat it again. <laughs> we are declared righteous through the perfect life of Jesus, not because of anything we have done. 
And we are made perfect through Christ, not ourselves. I'm touching on this so much because I want you guys to remember, nothing we can do can get us into heaven. Nothing we can do can make the Father look at us and see perfection because we all mess up. But the one person who didn't mess up loved us so much that he died for us. And now when the Father looks at us, he sees the perfect life of Jesus. So, we've, we've focused on a lot of words. We've touched on how we are justified. Now we're going to focus on what does good mean in Romans 8.28. We're going to bring it back to the verse that's taken out of context. Good does not mean that I'm going to leave here driving a Lamborghini. That is not good. Good does not mean that I'm never going to get sick again. That is not what Paul is talking about. Guys, the good is becoming more like Jesus Christ. It talks about that in verse 29. We will be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Over time, we are going to look more and more like our Savior in words and actions. If you guys have heard of the fruit of, fruit, the, fruit of the Spirit, we will begin to exhibit those qualities more and more. So that's, that's the first good Paul is talking about. But there's a second good. And that second good is focused on in verse 30. And that good is that we are promised eternal life. I want you to raise your hand if you've heard of John 3.16 before. Yep, hey, it's a pretty common verse. But it's become so common that it's easy to overlook. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When we believe in God, we are promised eternal life. In verse 30, it talks about those whom he called, he also justified, he made perfect. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you have been saved, guess what? You're always saved. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Even when you feel like you've walked so far from God, even when you feel like you've done the unspeakable, God is still with you. He promised you that the moment that you turned from all your evil ways and you turned to him, you will spend the rest of eternity with him. That does not just mean in heaven. That means now. The moment you accept Christ, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live with you. No matter what you're going through, you are spending eternity with God. And he is able to help you. Let's bring it back to last week. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. The Holy Spirit gives us strength and he will never leave us. Even in the darkest of nights, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So, Maybe tonight you're, you're listening to me talk and you're thinking, hey, the good that I need is I want to receive this relationship with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm in. I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to look to the God who loved me enough to die for me. And if that's you, that is amazing. I want to say that is so powerful. Praise the Lord. I, I want to encourage you guys, talk to Nathan, talk to me, talk to Nicole, talk to any of your small group leaders. Tell them about that decision you've made because I can guarantee you 
that is the best decision you've made in your entire life. And Jesus loves you beyond measure. But maybe, maybe you're listening to me speak and you're thinking, you know what the good I need to hear is I need to get back on track. Like I said, maybe you've drifted so far, you can't even see Jesus right now. But like I mentioned, nothing can separate you from Jesus. Nothing you do can separate you from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is always there for you. And if you feel like you've, if you've drifted, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, use the power of prayer to talk to God and ask him, hey, I would love the strength and the courage to get back on track with you because he is, he is there and he wants to help you. And maybe you're sitting there and the good you're thinking is, hey, I'm living, I'm living a good life with Jesus. I'm walking on the path. I'm doing good right now. That is awesome. Maybe the good for you is spreading the good news to someone else. Because like I said, this is the best news ever. Without Christ, God looks at us and he judges us, judges us based on the works that we've done. That is not good because we have all sinned. So maybe the good for you is sharing the good news with other people and introducing them to the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing day, Lord. We thank you for things that we seem to forget, Lord. We thank you for our vision. We thank you for our ability to breathe and the ability to walk, God. Those are things we so often overlook. But Lord, I, I thank you for the promise that you've made to those, those of us who believe in you, Lord. The promise that you will never leave or forsake us. God, nothing can separate us from you. And that is, that is so powerful and that is so, so undeserving, Lord. And we thank you for the love that you have, that you've given to us, that you sent your son on a cross to die for us. That even though we've sinned against you and we have broken your commandments, Lord, you still loved us enough to want a relationship with us and you sent your son to die in order that we can have a restored relationship with you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be up here to speak and speak. And I pray that as we go into small groups, Lord, that you, you help give us a boldness and courage to ask questions and to help understand you more, Lord. And I pray that you grow these friendships, this community. And Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment as we enter into, into the normal life and that you give us a courage to spread the good news of your gospel. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.